Hello, everybody. This is the Lion Eyes Podcast. I'm your host, Arturo Leon. This is just an introduction to what you're about to hear. On November 20th, my good friend Joe called in, and we had a very special podcast. We talked about quite a few issues and in-depth, and ended up recording a two-hour podcast. So what I'm going to do is divide that podcast up and release it at two different times since the Thanksgiving holidays coming up. There'll be a release on November 21st, which should be what you're listening to right now, and then a second release, which I'll send out on Thanksgiving, which will focus primarily on uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, So the podcast you're going to hear right now will cover uh, sports, uh, pop culture, and uh, the normal Zach Boychuk corner. And then next week, you'll be hearing the uh, talk about life, which Joe and I reminisce some about high school, and then get into an actual conversation on Thanksgiving, which uh, was pretty in-depth and serious look at the holiday and how it can improve. So without much further ado, welcome to the podcast. Enjoy. And here's part one of our very special podcast. Hello, listeners. This is the Lion Eyes Podcast. I'm your host, Art Leon. Uh, Welcome to the digital radio of our time, the podcast. Today is November 20th, 2014. We're on our fourth podcast. Hopefully, we're getting a little better each time, but who really knows? Um, With us today is a special podcast. We have my very good friend, Joe, is with us. Hello, Joe. So Joe is calling in, so not only is this our first guest podcast, but our first uh, call, our first guest on the phone line, which uh, this would be a perfect place to have a sponsor, so insert sponsor here. Joe is live on the Line Eyes phone line. Um, who, who would you like to pretend sponsor you, Joe, for today's phone call? Oh man! Do you want to sponsor me? Yeah, if you could have one sponsor, like this, this would be the sponsor of you calling in. Who would it be? Like an individual or a corporation? Whoever, whoever's going to give money for this phone call to happen. Whoever's going to give money, huh? <laughs> uh, well, for this phone call, it's probably going to be you or me. So, how about I'm sponsored by you, Art? Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, I don't have a product to sell except for this podcast, so I guess it works out pretty well then. Uh, yep, yep. And now we're going to jump right into our preview for the November 20th podcast, part one. Enjoy. We're going to talk about sports. We actually have somebody who knows what they're talking about, so that's a plus to have here today with us. And then we're going to talk about SNL, uh, the concert for Valor, maybe some politics, and of course we're going to end talking about Mr. Boychuk and shamelessly trying to get myself some tickets to go see the Carolina Hurricanes at the Verizon Center. How, did you catch that in the last podcast? How, what, what are your feelings about my shameless plug on trying to get these free tickets from this guy? Hey man, hockey tickets are expensive. 
they, you got to. They are. They are actually. They are quite expensive. Have you have you seen a hockey game at the Verizon Center? I have. So in my in my former life working in the corporate world, um, before the sequester, my company had a summer club tickets. Do you know what that is in the in the Verizon Center? I have not been club. fortunate enough to do club seats at the Verizon Center. Yeah. So if you're at the 200 level, I forget which end it is, but one of the goal ends. Um, there's this restaurant, and then they have these nice little three rows of swivel chairs where you can eat and watch the game. It's it's disgusting. It's like Call it to the max, but uh, it's nice when you're on that side of it. I can tell you that it definitely is. I've I've had two experiences with club seats in my life. The first one, uh, the only playoff game I've ever gotten to see, um, was the Philadelphia Flyers playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I got club seats to that with my friend Jim. And it is definitely you're absolutely right. It is corporate white America. At just a different level, they you we have it's like the two hundred level, and there's a security guard that checks to go to that level. Like this, there's an entire level of Wells Fargo that is only club level. I don't know if um, the Verizon Center is the same way. Like, did did you have to have a club ticket just to get on that level? Uh, they give you a little bracelet, and everyone addresses you by your last name. But it's pretty swank. That is nice. And then, so at each section. It's about, I would say, like maybe 40 seats, and there's a bar just for those seats. And then there's like a, a family bathroom, and then a bathroom just for that area. And then they also have the pretzels that they sell at that section were shaped like the Philadelphia P, and they don't sell them anywhere else in the stadium. And it's silly, but I don't understand why you couldn't just sell that everywhere in Wells Fargo, but it was only the club section had these little pea-shaped pretzels. Yeah, it sounds like you appreciated your experience more than I did. I Usually d- what happened with me is the boss would circle around the office at, you know, 6 o'clock, so he has to give her these tickets for the 7 o'clock game, and he feels bad hanging on to them because they're supposed to be for employees, and I'm the first person he sees, and he asks me if I want to go, so... Usually I show up to the game 30 minutes late, eat some food before I have my act together to the third period. I, I, this definitely sounds like the difference between a lower class minority and just white privilege. Just, you're the guy every week when I'm at a Penn State game, when people show up like 30 minutes late, it's the second quarter and they're just like, nah, we're happy here. And meanwhile, like, I'm upset if I don't get to see the marching band play, uh, or perform like 10 minutes before the game starts. I'm, I'm getting every cent out of my season tickets. Well, if that's your righteous indignation, it's valid. We don't appreciate the privilege. That's uh, that sounds good. Um, and now because sports, uh, you want to get football out of the way and then um, get on a soapbox about baseball. You want to do it that way? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I really don't have much to contribute with football, so okay. Anyway. Right, so we'll bang this out really quick. Um. Uh, so I go through and I make picks, and so far the theme of my football picks is how horrible I am at picking. And I'll make the picks, and then I'll do a lock of the week. I am this is my fourth podcast. I am zero and three for the lock of the week. Um, so we'll see how I do this week. Um, full disclosure: uh, the Chiefs Raiders is happening as we're recording this podcast. Oakland is winning, so. 
I've already turned in my picks for this week. I picked the Chiefs to win. Um, and a lot of people on ESPN were talking about this being a trap game for Kansas City. And on the other side, there was a large group of people, including Vegas, who thought that was laughable. Um, and it looks like Oakland is going to win this game. So there's, you know, I would have been wrong at that. So the Sunday games that haven't happened, let's go through real quickly. Uh, do you want to make any picks, or do you just want me to blow through this real quick? Blow through it. All right. Browns at Falcons. Uh, Browns. Titans at Eagles. Eagles to bounce back from that disastrous loss at Green Bay. Uh, Lions at Patriots. Patriots blowout. Uh, Packers at Vikings. Viking, or excuse me, Packers easily. Jaguars at Colts. Colts are going to win that. Bengals at Texans. Bengals. Jets at Bills. I'm not. I'm not going to make a pick on this because I don't. Do you know? Are they playing at New York? I think, I think they got postponed. Okay, so it's they didn't move it. They didn't make it a home game for the Jets. They just postponed it. The ESPN is showing postponed. Okay, okay, so no need to make a pick on that. Um, Buccaneers at Bears. I'm going to pick the Bears. Although that's going to be a good game because Lovey Smith is returning home and the Bears are not that good. Um, I'm still going to pick the Bears. Maybe maybe Jay Cutler will care a bit this game and actually perform well. Cardinals at Seahawks. Uh, this this is a trap game for the Cardinals. The Seahawks probably are there. They want to defend being an NFC powerhouse. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. If the Cardinals win this, pick the Cardinals to win the Super Bowl. Sorry, what does trap game mean? A, a trap? Trap, oh, game? trap game? Yeah, trap game is like when your Vegas like picks you to win, but all the momentum actually goes to the, the, the opposite team. Um, so, for example, the Chiefs at the Raiders, this is a traditional rivalry game for the Raiders, and like the Raiders have nothing to lose on this game since they're playing so horrible and they're also honoring John Madden at halftime. So the momentum would go to the Raiders at home, whereas the Chiefs <clears throat> really have no reason to get hyped for this game because they're playing such a, a horrible team. Um, so like the momentum obviously is going toward the Raiders and so they, then the score shows that the Raiders are coming out and playing. They have no business being in this game. Um, so that's that's a trap game. Um, Rams at Chargers. Um, I'm going to pick the Rams to upset the Chargers at home. Dolphins at Broncos. Um, I'm going to pick the Dolphins because the Broncos have a lot of injuries. And Peyton Manning showed last week that he can uh, be beaten. And I think the Dolphins' defense is good enough to make those sacks and interceptions. Plus, Peyton Manning doesn't play well in the cold. And I think it's supposed to be a cold game for him. Uh, Redskins at 49ers. Uh, I'm going to go with the 49ers because the Redskins are the laughing stock of the NFL right now. Uh, Cowboys at Giants. Cowboys. And finally on Monday night, Ravens at Saints. I'm going to pick the Saints to win at home and rebound their year. So here we go. The lock of the week. Uh, lock of the week is going to be the 49ers hosting the Redskins. So the, the, the lock here is take your money to the bank, go to Vegas, take my advice, and bet on the 49ers. And again, for the fourth week in a row, full disclosure, if you are taking gambling advice from me, you have a problem, go seek help. There are plenty of places that you can call. There's 1-800 numbers. 
Stop gambling. It's a horrible addiction. Nobody wins. Um, so they're the football picks of the week. And then quickly, I'll talk about fantasy football um, just because it's going horrible for me right now. Uh, Joe, have you ever played? Have you ever partaken in fantasy football? Well, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm proud to have been sober for four years. Okay. So was it, was it, when did you get involved and when did you stop and why? Um, the second year that I did it was, was it 07 that the Patriots went 16 and 0? Was that the year? I think so. So that year I had Tom Brady and LaDainian Tomlinson. Woo! That was the, the, you know, obviously Brady broke the record that since been broken by, um, Peyton. And then, um, it seems like everyone on the Chargers that year, any receiver who would catch the ball near the end zone would just fall down at the one yard line and then let LT run it in. Right. But anyway, so I couldn't lose then. And then I played another two years after that because a friend from college just really loved it. But I was just rooting for terrible things to happen, rooting for too many Cowboys players, caring about games I didn't care about. So yeah, it de- on Sundays I'll talk to my wife instead. Yeah, that's probably the better solution. Fantasy football forces a different perspective on football. Um, it makes you root for teams you don't want to root for. Like I found myself the last two years being a Philadelphia Eagles fan because I've had I've been dependent on the quarterback wide receiver situation of Philadelphia, and I would never really root for the Eagles. I have no real reason to root for them. Like I'm a pretty diehard Dolphins fan, um, and then my backup team is Carolina because I was born there. Um, but yet, like, I care very deeply about the Philadelphia Eagles the last two years. Um, so my team this year, I was doing well. I'm a defending champ. I don't know if you knew that, Joe. You're speaking to a defending fantasy football champion. Um, and things that really don't matter in life, that is one of them. But you've got you've to celebrate the small things. So um, my team was doing well for a while. Um, and in the last week... I've lost my starting running back. I've lost Nick Foles. I lost Carson Palmer. Um, so I had to get two new quarterbacks. I lost another running back. And I haven't been able to pick up anybody in the waiver wire. So I'm essentially down five players in my league place 10. So needless to say, I did not do well last week. Um, nor the week before. I'm on a two-week losing streak. I am now out of the playoff picture, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back in, but it doesn't really matter because I don't even have, like, ten players. I'm limping along with, like, nine nine players. Um, so that's been, uh, that's been really frustrating. And um, apparently if you're on my fantasy team as a running back, your season's going to come to an end. So there's that. Um I don't think I'm going to defend this championship. That's what this whole thing's coming down to. My fantasy season seems like it's going to end. So that's that's that. Maybe I should stop playing fantasy. Maybe I should. I don't know. Very liberating experience. So so I hear. So I hear. But then the the one you know what I should do is I should play fantasy baseball. At this point, Joe and I are going to talk about baseball for the next 26 minutes and 22 seconds. So if you just want to skip to hearing about SNL, go to the 40-second minute. Because I know and I watch more football than I probably need to, and maybe that will help me get back into baseball if I needed to obsessively pick 
and move players around and know exactly what's happening. Well, you'll have to multiply the number of games by 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with fantasy baseball, do you do... You do have, you, have you ever played fantasy baseball? I haven't. I've heard of people who uh, do hockey. Honestly, I think the more games you have, the competition becomes a war of attrition. It's whoever's willing to keep up with their team every day. Right. I, I would imagine. So I don't know. And baseball, I guess, like you can make change up every day, or I guess you can leave a lineup for a week and then just come back a week later and see how they did. I don't even know to be honest with you. I don't know either. Um, so, but speaking of baseball, good season. Did you like how it ended? I did. Um, I never liked the Giants for the longest time. Um, and when Barry Bonds left, I just I, I found myself really liking the team they're putting out there. Um, Tim Vincent was probably my favorite pitcher. For the, I mean, he still is really. I really like the way he plays, even though he struggled lately. Um, so I found myself becoming a, cl- a closet Giants fan for reasons I can't really explain. I just like the way they play, I guess. Um, I like the resurgence of the Royals. I like seeing those those uh, smaller markets. I like that the Pirates have had two consecutive winning seasons. The Orioles have had three consecutive winning seasons. It's just nice to see, um, see some parity return, I guess you could say. What do you think about it? Um, I... I really like you like you said before we started recording. Um, have I didn't keep up that strongly this year. I followed Derek Jeter. Um, the Yankees were not really in the playoff hunt for much of the season, and then I found myself following the Orioles a lot just because of the, the home team, and I heard a lot about them. And then I was pretty aware of the Nationals because of listening to Tony uh, Tony Kornheiser his radio show, and he talks about the Nationals every day. Um, and then I kind of jumped on at the playoffs, and I thought the playoffs were great this year. They were exciting. Um, so many series, just the drama. Um, like, everything that's great about baseball, I think these playoffs showed. Um, teams, uh, go ahead. There's only tight in the World Series. Yeah, I, I mean, he went to, it went to seven games. Um, in all the divisional ones, I think only one, there was, the Giants were three, one there's three, one. Everyone else swept. And then uh, in the league championship series, did the Giants sweep? Do I know the Royals swept? Uh, I know the Royals. The Royals did sweep. Uh, who did the Giants play again? No, the Giants won in five. They played the Cards and they won in five. Right, that's right. So there's only two games won by the losing series team until you get to the World Series. But they were all close games. Like, there wasn't... Yeah, that's right. You had that 18-inning game between the Nats and the Giants. Yeah, I mean, oh, even yeah. even the Nats, the Nats series, it only went to, what, five games? And all five of those games were just bananas. Yeah, yeah, and the Royals, it seems like they are always putting out their big three guys at the end of the game to close out a one-run league. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, and the, the Royals, I forget what it is now, but they had um, that, it was just like an unprecedented come-from-behind ratio. Um that wild card game was the best game you'll ever see. That was. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just what you're trying to tell. Yeah, like the, you know, that that tension and nuance into baseball, where you know, like every pitch mattered, the strategy of it came to life. Like you really got to see that the fan bases were bananas. Um, like the history, uh, especially with the Orioles and the the Royals having uh, not being in it since the uh, what was it, '83 and '85, respectively. 
So, you know, the, the history of the game uh, was drug along, and then, um, you know, just the Giants and the, the Cardinals, like you said, Barry Bonds, I think, really tarnished the Giants' name. The Giants, a, a great historic franchise, a lot of history. Um, they, they've been great for a long time. They've got a lot of success. They've got a lot of great players have played for them. And I agree. I think it's good for the Giants to be good. Um, and the first time they won in San Francisco, though, was in 2010. It's been a long time. Right, right. Um, and I would say, I don't know what it was, um, but Game 7 of the World Series, I watched. I'm not a big Giants fan, um, and I, I know you're going to talk about the West Coast teams a lot. Uh, I don't follow the Giants. I've been turned off to them since Barry Bonds was a player. Um, I definitely do have an East Coast bias, and I was rooting for Kansas City because I'm an American League guy, so I was I went with the American League team, and I sat down and watched Game 7, and Madison Bumgarner, by the second inning, Joe, I was rooting for the Giants. I mean, this that performance was probably one of the more special things we'll see in our lifetime. Like, it was one of those things where when Ken Burns goes back and he's doing his documentary... Like, I'm going to remember watching that game in my living room and, like, what I felt. Um, That'd be impressive because he didn't pitch in the second inning. When did, no, the third. He came in the third, right? No, I think Hudson went out in the second. And no. Then and he pitched, what, two or three innings? No, he came in in the... Okay, you keep talking. I'm going to look up. I don't know if... I, I came in, like, fifth or sixth inning, I think. Because felt pitched over two innings, I'm pretty sure. I thought he came in in the third. Um, all right, keep go ahead. What do you what do you go, keep talking? Otherwise, you're gonna have to pause while I look this up. Um, so where were you going with it? And I can take over. I don't remember where you were going with that. Um, with Bumgarner? Or just him pitching again on short rest? No, the so the, first of all, yeah, coming out in short okay. short rest, and then his performance. Um, and I'll circle this back around to being a Jeter fan and like needing, I don't know, something to, to really hitch my horse on. But I, I think one of the things with baseball, I felt like, and, and baseball kind of struggled with this, like who's going to be the face of the game after Derek Jeter um, leaves. Watching Bumgarner pitch in that game was like, I felt it would be the, akin to watching like Sandy Koufax. Like this kid... This kid's going to be remembered. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. It was that kind of performance. And it, it felt good to see that again. I think that's been gone from baseball for a while. Um, right. Yeah, I got something to go with, Sam, if you want to look up the, the stats. So. Right. So, so first, I'm surprised that that's what re, that reinvigorated your your love for a new face of, of baseball. Because the last time I remember something like that happening was the 2001 World Series with uh, the Yanks and Diamondbacks, which I would argue is the greatest World Series I've ever seen. Um, I never saw the 87 series, so... I would agree I would agree that that's... Yeah, that's been the best World Series of my lifetime. And in that series, you'll recall, I think Johnson pitched games two and six, and then he pitched game seven, I think the last two innings, and he was the, win- he was the pitcher record for that game. So the last time I remember seeing a starting pitcher who did two games come in and release... Uh, uh, in Game Seven was Randy Johnson. Uh-huh. Except he did it on zero days rest, and uh, so and that was against your beloved Yankees. So it's, that's the first thing I thought of 
He came in in the fifth. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh... So maybe I didn't start the whole game. Maybe I came in late, and that's why I felt he, he pitched much earlier. Yeah, I just know that, I think... Well, what, what do the stats say for the rest of the pitchers? Hudson got knocked out in the second, right? Uh, let me, uh... Yeah, Hudson was out after 28 pitches, and then, um... What's this cat's name? Was Jeremy Alfelt the only other pitcher? Yeah, Alfelt, uh, he went through the fourth. I think that was the longest outing of the season or something they said. <laughs> anyway, it was an inspiring pitching performance game seven. I, even though you don't get too excited about pitching performances, um, that was impressive. And to see Bruce Bochy push two pitchers to the limit and yank the other one so soon. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think this whole season, yeah, I'm, I I know there's a young, exciting league to watch, um, and I definitely want to tune into it next year, and depending what happens with A-Rod, I might, I might just be that disgusted with the Yankees, um, that I really just approach baseball as a baseball fan with no bias and just, like, start watching games for the love of the games again. And that saddens me. Because I think you've wasted at least two seasons waiting for Derek Jeter to retire. Prob- probably. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. I, I mean, he was hurt. He was, he was hurt all of last season, and then this season yeah. was pretty much just like a victory tour. I mean, he, he statistically wasn't that great. I mean, he had great moments. I mean, you, you can't go out any better than he went out um, with that walk-off hit that he had. Um, and then um, the – the what no, it was a walk-off. Was it a home run or was it a hit? And then he has that last hit at Fenway. Regardless. Yeah. The Fenway one was just a blue ground or a grounder that the third baseman tried to bare hand. It was whatever. Right. The one, the one he did at Yankee Stadium against the Orioles, I mean, that was quintessential Jeter. That was, they piled him inside, and he found a way to blow it into the, the right field hole, so. Right. That was fitting. Even as a, a non, uh, as, as someone who hates the Yankees as much as I do, playing against my favorite team, you know, that was the right way for him to go. Right. Um, yeah, so, and I, I don't know, hopefully this forces the Yankees to approach baseball like they did in the early 90s where they actually care about building a farm system and spending their money in that regard and, and bringing up some actual Yankees instead of trying to buy the team. So, yeah, no, I agree with you that I've, I've wasted a few years here uh, waiting for, you know, Jeter Swan song and for him to leave. Um, so, yeah, fill me in. What have, I, what have I missed? Well, you alluded to it earlier, but um, it's weird. But all, the faces of baseball are all on the West Coast right now, okay. in my opinion. Because there is no face of the Yankees. Let's, let's go easy on the face of baseball and just say there's no face of the Yankees right now. And that probably is what beat you up the most. Is that fair to say? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I'll get over it. <laughs> well, and then the Red Sox, this is weird. I guess they had a down year, and then they won the World Series, and then now another down year. So it's they're kind of weird to watch. But um, we also got to remember that for a solid 10 years at least, 
Sunday night and Wednesday night, one of those two teams was playing a nationally televised game. Uh-huh. So we're just, as baseball fans our age, we're just not programmed to care about the 10 o'clock games on the West Coast ever. Right. And not only are the, the West Coast guys, I mean, the best pitchers out there, I mean, Matt Cain, he was hurt this year, but, I mean, he, he's the ace of the Giants staff, not Madison Bumgarner. If you recall, he's making the most money. He's he was the guy that got the big contract first. He's throwing. I think he threw a perfect game or two. I mean, he's certainly not the playoff success, but he's their number one guy. And then of course, Madison Baumgartner, and then Clayton Kershaw. You talked about the Sandy Koufax comparison. Uh huh. He's the best that's been seen in a while. I mean, what was his ERA? It was under two. Was yeah, it was, it was one point one talking. And then I know he only had three losses and. I mean, he didn't clock a ton of innings, if I recall correctly, but, I mean, this guy is just, he's been lights out ever since he got into the league. And then you commented about Mike Trout on your last podcast, and the stats he's putting up, not just his slash line, but if you look at the the Sabre metrics that a lot of people like to look at, um, I think he scored the most runs in the league, or in, in all the majors last year, so... He's just a complete player, and be it at so young. Um, do, do you? I mean, so last week I brought him up just to talk about the, you know, the the hangover from the steroid era is that tinge of doubt that happens when we see the greatness happen. Do you look at Mike Trout, and do, do you have any questions? Is this is it in the back of your head, or do you are you back in this age of innocence? Oh man, there hasn't been any of that in five years at least. All right, so that you're saying that's a very nice way of saying that you're just going to go back to the age of innocence. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You look at you look at Chris Davis and the guy just <laughs> he got busted twenty five games for taking Adderall. No, I'm not too. I mean, ever since the the collective bargaining agreement was revised and they allowed player testing, I think it's been pretty successful, wouldn't you say? I mean, all the bad guys have gotten caught. I, they've they've all been East Coast guys though a lot of a lot of the target is you know I, I'm just saying you're saying there's an East Coast biased you know are you saying everyone out there is clean in the West Coast I'm saying everyone pees into a cup with some regularity and if you only Chris Davis's case I think he had one missed test and you're permitted one missed test but then for, for the rest of the year you have to pee in a cup every week or something absurd like that so uh-huh. I mean, if there's just any, if there's any inkling of cheating now, but the test process that they make you go through is, I mean, I don't know, cheaters going to cheat, right? Right. They'll find a way, but, um, but if you know anything about Mike Trout's story, and I, Clayton Kershaw's might even be, I mean, these are the faces of baseball that you want to have, and I don't know much about basketball, but, I mean, you could also talk about, you know, comparing Kevin Durant and LeBron James just as human beings, compare them to Michael Jordan's Charles Barkley's or, you know, God forbid, Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, I think this generation of players right now, me as a father, like, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that my son is going to um, really look up to athletes. I would argue this is the best time that we've ever seen where our sons will have some pretty good role models in the athletic sphere to look up to. Um, Kershaw, I don't know if you read much about after he signed his big major deal, but um, this guy was all geeked up about all the different charities that he can make happen now or give some stability to all over the world. 
ideal family. I mean, when he, when he won his MVP, he was hanging around his family. Um, LeBron James, I'm getting off topic, but, you know, basketball players are notorious for being womanizers. He's been with the same girl the whole time. And one of the stipulations for him going down to Miami, so I'm told, was his girl said, you got to put a ring on it. And Kevin Durant, during his MVP speech, did you see that? No. One by one thanking his teammates. Man, it broke your heart. Like, these are the guys you want our kids to look up to. You don't, I mean, you can argue they don't have the, the competitive fierceness or edge that Jordan's had, but um, that comes with a price. So, I, I just look at, and for, going back to baseball, for Trout and Kershaw, just how good they are. Um, I mean, how many Cy Youngs has Kershaw won already? Do you know? Uh, Two or three? I definitely know. Uh, didn't he win three in a row? Isn't this his third in a row? That sounds right. And he's only 26. Yeah, he's Trout, If it wasn't for Miggy Cabrera, Trout would be a three-time MVP. Right. So, and Trout's only 23. I mean, these guys are good, man. <laughs> they're good, and they're they're good guys. I, mean, I, I really think they're everything you would want. And a superstar right now. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I'm not talking a lot. No, it's. I mean, it sounds. Maybe I'm just jaded. Maybe I'm just jaded from the whole steroid era, and just I don't know. I got to get back in the game. I got to get back into baseball. I've I've been out of it, and it does sound like there's a lot of fun going out there on the West Coast. I'm I'm just missing games. I'm just missing the sport. It's going by me. Um, Kansas City was fun to watch. Uh, the way they played, I liked the way they played the game. You know, small ball, quick, speed. Um, it wasn't about power. You know, it was a complete team game. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely, I, I think it's interesting to look at the athletes of this era and and talk about building role models. Um, and that's something that was... I guess the trade-off in our youth was competitive competitiveness for that that role model spirit, um, like you talked about with Michael Jordan was the example you brought up. Um, you know, but even you know, continuing with basketball, you have the Pistons of the '90s uh, and football. Like the Dallas team was just filled with nonsense. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense, and that's exciting to look at baseball and basketball and even you know football. There's a lot of great work that's being done there by a, a young generation of football players with uh, charity and giving back to their community. So that that's a, an exciting thing to to bring into sports and to look forward to. And I would I would see, especially as a father, how you would key into that more so than I would. There's, I mean, there's, those are just highlights, I guess you could say, of why I think you should bury Jeter and, and come back to baseball. He hasn't had a win above replacement above two since 2009. I don't know if you knew that. Say it again. The wins above replacement, that's a, a favorite metric. Yeah, I hear I hear that a lot. I heard that, um, what's the what's the guy's name out of the Florida Marlins? He was like the runner-up for the uh, MVP. John Carlos Stan? Yeah, he just got a huge paycheck. And yeah. um, I was reading that his wins over replacement was like non-existent like the the sabermetrics actually show that he's not worth the money that was spent on him yeah I didn't read that 
Yes. He's good. I've enjoyed watching him play. Okay. Mm. I, got to, I got to see him a couple times at Nats Stadium, but um, strangely, I only go there when the Marlins play for whatever reason. <laughs> Um, okay, so who's... Yeah, there's some cool stuff. 24-year-old Venezuelan, um, you would know him because he plays for the Astros, won the batting crown, Jose Altuve. And then, did you hear about uh, Jose Abreu? He plays for the White Sox early in the season. He was just crank out home runs left and right. He's a rookie. Uh-huh. I think he hit like 30 by the all-star break, but then only hit five after that. Anyways, he was just fun to watch. It's, it's cool to see. It's cool. There's a lot of good baseball going on with a lot of young kids. Um... I think you should get back in the game. Okay. So, what are your thoughts on the on the Pirates and Andrew McCutcheon? He's my favorite player. I love him. <laughs> 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 he's got speed. He, he's got anything going on the gold glove. Um, he, he loves Pittsburgh and embraces Pittsburgh. And, I don't know, it seems like Pittsburgh either loves it or you hate it. A lot of guys who come through there. He knows it's a small market. He could do better, but he still owns it. He wants to be there. Um, he plays with good energy. I don't know. When he got beaned in the back earlier this year um, in a retaliatory measure, he just handled that the right way, it seemed. I don't know. I just I love the way he plays. I've seen him hit an inside-the-park home run. I mean, I love that. All right, so if there was one player to be the face of baseball right now, who would you make it? From a... a like, who I want my kid to look up to or who I want to build my team around if I'm a GM kind of thing. Who who do you want... Whose face do you want on the first commercial ESPN puts out for the new baseball season? Man. Queens is a bad answer, and you can tell me it's a bad answer. If Clayton Kershaw, Mike Trout, Andrew McCutcheon, and Adam Jones could make a baby... That's what I'd want. That's a lot of dudes making a baby, man. I know. Bad answer. I don't have a good one, I'm sorry. Okay. So you would say those those four guys are gonna be the the those are the faces of baseball. Yeah, and that feels wrong considering there's so many Latin players um that are really good. But I just I never really liked Cabrera, even though I like him more now. He used to just be fat and overweight and somehow crank home runs, but he seems to care a little bit more now. But, I don't know. Okay, uh, that's fair. Most of the young Latin guys, but they're young. I just don't know yet. Right. They haven't had quite the success clip that Trout and uh, Kershaw have had, but I don't have a good answer. I'm sorry. Okay, no, that's fair. You, you, you named four guys. Um, best rivalry to watch? Well, right now, you got to say Giants-Dodgers, right? Okay. Is it that intense during the regular season? It's always intense, but now they're both good. Okay. Um, the Giants guy almost got killed, remember? <laughs> Before the World Series games, that guy in the wheelchair, you know uh-huh. what I'm talking about? No. He almost got killed. At a, he went to L.A. dressed in his Giants gear and got thrown off something. Yeah, man. Okay, so uh, we've got best rivalry, faces of baseball, um, is Joe what's his name Is it, it's Joe Madden right hired by the yeah. Cubs is he going to make a difference in Chicago oh man I have no idea how can you bet like, how can you bet for the Cubs alright that's your answer you're going to have to stick to that and best small market team 
to go out of my way to watch. Well, it depends what you're looking for. If you like that return to small ball speed, I mean, the Royals were a blast to watch. You think they're going to be able to keep that team for next year? I don't know. They need a bat to replace Butler. He's the only power they have. They have no power. All right. My favorite player on that team is their catcher, Salvatore Perez. He's the real deal. He's got a glove and he can hit. Okay. So if you're, you're going to recommend a team for me to follow that's not the Yankees to try to help with my rehabilitation into baseball, who would it be? Well, what, what are you looking for? Um, it sounds like a team that hits a bunch of home runs will just make you skeptical if you want to see something completely different. Yeah, yeah. So either you want a team that can pitch or a team that can run? I, 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 want, I want a good pitching rotation and I want some speed around the bases. That's what gets me excited. You want both? I want both. Uh, if you want speed and pitching in the National League, I don't know, the Dodgers maybe? I would, and, and we talked about this. I would, I was rooting for the Dodgers going into the playoffs because of the Yankee connection. So, you mean how they operate their front office? Uh, you know, Donnie, Donnie Baseball's out there managing, you know? Alright. He deserves to get a ring. Poor guy. He never got one with the Yankees, and he seems to. How many more chances do you think he gets in the postseason before they can him? I have no idea. I mean, they're about to kick into the curb. Was it last year when they started so horribly? Yeah. And they're the best record after the All-Star break, and they won the last. And I don't know. All right. So I think that that's that's a fair baseball wrap-up, uh, I think, for the podcast. If anybody's still listening after 20 minutes of baseball chat. <laughs> or an hour plus of uh, total chat. Yeah. I'm going to go back and do... Hey, out the right. We don't need to talk about both. You need to take that part out. Uh, I'll. I think I'm just going to put like a table of contents at the beginning of the podcast until <laughs> be like, just jump here if you want to listen to this. Uh, so let's let's move on. Um, you want to talk about SNL at all? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you start though. Why don't you give your impressions on season forty? My impressions on season forty. Um, I have nothing positive to say about. SNL and not not no okay I don't know if I anything I, I'll it's a lot it, there's definitely a lot of negative things um, and it it starts with Colin Yost um, I, I think he's a horrible head writer and he needs to fire himself just period he just he should can himself just get off the show let it breathe a little bit um, I think the show has gotten away from letting performers perform. They have great performers, and they're just given crap material. And I don't think he's responsible for that. He's the head writer. How is he not responsible for that? Well, but a lot of the a lot of the cast members write their own way and write their own skits, right? It doesn't feel like the cast is writing their own stuff. Um, okay, it, it definitely feels like formulaic. SNL nonsense and okay. they're they're struggling to to because I feel like when the cast is allowed to write their own stuff which happened a lot with the uh, like when Kristen Wiig and um, Sandberg you know those years when they were on you definitely saw the voices of the character like who these people were 
and sure. you're not getting that is because I think Colin Jost and the rest of the writing staff they're trying to create a voice that doesn't quite exist um, so let me back up do, do you want to talk about SNL do you just want to give your whole synopsis and then we, t- and then we start talking about it or do you want to go topic by topic within SNL and we talk about it I, for example Colin Jost we address that then you go on to the next thing uh, yeah we can go on to the next thing Alright, so that's what I have to say about Colin Jost then? Fire him. That's what I have to say about Colin Jost. Alright, alright. So I think, okay, keep in mind, he's been on the job less than a year as a anchor. How long has he been head writer, do you know? Since Myers left? Yeah, he, he was Myers' understudy and then took over when Myers left. Okay, so he's been both anchor and head writer for less than a year then. Right. Jimmy Fallon. I was never a fan of his when he was in SNL because he couldn't stop laughing. I did like him with Tina Fey. I thought he was great because then that you're you're right. He he does have this oh shucks you know small town you know I'm laughing with you like we're fans together kind of deal. And I think it worked great with Tina. Um, well, my point is, I think Colin's trying to do that and it's not working. I'll give you that. Okay. I think he's trying to be set fires, but he doesn't. And also, this is my my dig against Seth Myers when he first started doing uh, Late Night. Was it, it seemed like he would quell the excitement of the audience to tell his joke. Like everything needs to stop so he can tell his joke because the joke in and of itself is good enough. Uh-huh. And I feel like Bon Jovi has a flavor of that too, where he wants the joke to be good enough, and it's just it's just not quite there. And the other thing I say about Bon and this this really plays into, I think, his best buddies in the show, Beck Bennett, Kyle Mooney, uh, Mike O'Brien, when he was still in there, um, but I don't know, he's, he's back in the writer's room, was, it seems like those four guys, when Napoleon Dynamite came out, if you remember this, they watched that and decided that that is comedy now, that's what's funny. Right. It seems like everything those guys put together is, is to make you laugh by making you feel weird, or... I don't know if Urban Dictionary has coined this term, so I'll just throw it out here for the first time on the Lion Eyes podcast. Shock Ock. Like, making you feel, making you shocked by how awkward the scene was. Okay. There seems to be a lot of that going on at SNL with those four guys in particular. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, that seems to... I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know how to react to that, and I don't know, um... Because they've because it's been two years. I, well, I, okay, so you're saying a year and a half, like they're in the middle of their second year. Um, no, you sh- they're professionals. They should have. No, I don't. SNL doesn't have a year and a half to find its voice. You know, it's an institution. It's not. You know, I don't. They're they're supposed to be like the varsity league of comedy. 
your voice should have been found already by the time you get to SNL. Like SNL doesn't polish you. SNL takes a polished item and then makes it gold and then spits you back out to Hollywood. Yeah, but I don't think they come together yet. I think they're good. We just haven't, there's no chemistry there. I think that's because the the writers, I think the writers are holding them back. And I, I, and I think, it, I don't know if it's sexism, but I will say the one time that the chemistry is there is when the girls are all together and they get to do things. The the women of SNL are just hilarious and I don't think they're getting a chance to shine. Um, and, you know, any skits that they do where it's predominantly them, I, I think are the best ones. Um, and I don't understand, I mean, um, what's her name? Kate McKinnon is like, she's a physically gifted comedian and she's not being allowed to go out week in and week out and be the star of the show. She should be, the, to me, she's the star of the show. And she's not allowed to be that. Um, and I'm not sure who SNL wants to be the face of SNL, um, but they, they should find that and really push it. And I, th- those are the years SNL is the strongest. I mean, if you look back, you can clearly point to an era of SNL and it's usually one or two people that you're talking about. Like if I were to say, you know, the Adam Sandler years, you know what I'm talking about. If I say the Will Ferrell years, you know what I'm talking about. The Christian Wig years, the original cast. I mean, it's not fair to point one of them out, but you know, Eddie Murphy, these, those are errors of SNL and they've always had a face. Who's the face of SNL right now? I agree with, and I agree with everything you said up to that point. I think the, the I would just put that this is the strongest female cast ever. And I agree with you hundred percent that Kate McKinnon is the best. Certainly of the female staffs, maybe even the whole staff. Um, but we need to talk about Waverly Jones at some point, but that's not yet. Okay. But I, I do think that it still might be premature. Um because there's been so much turnover, even last year, and then heading into this year, you broke up significant pairing with Weekend Update and put together a new one, and then adding Leslie Jones into the cast and Pete Davidson. Uh, I thought it fit in pretty well and pretty quickly. I like Pete. I like Pete. Like I still think they're figuring all that out. If, if, if so here's here's my Joe. Joe, here's my challenge to you with SNL. Is and and this is. L- let me take a step back from my hatred for Colin Jost and say this: I think I or I feel that SNL is trying to be more urban, and and that's I'm using it, but I really don't like that term. Um, and they're really trying for the first time in the history to to be more diverse. They've got a great. I agree with you. Probably the best female cast they've ever had, um, and they're bringing in. They're at least making an effort to bring in more black comedians. Uh, I don't think Colin Jost should be the head writer for that, if that makes sense. That because I think I think that's where the disparity is coming along. You have direction from Lauren Michael to say like, let's be a 21st century SNL. Let's be more diverse. Let's not be you know a cast of just all white people. Um, that we once were and Colin Jost is probably not the best captain for that ship I mean he is your stereotypical wasp he just fits that so well and 
somebody else should be the captain of that ship. That's what I'm saying. I mean, maybe someone else should be the captain of the ship. I don't know if it's for the reasons you described. You're more sensitive to this than I am, but I don't know. Lauren Michaels had uh, Garrett Brooks way back. He was always adamant that there should be a black comedian among them, even from the very beginning, which was pretty cutting edge for him or for anyone back then. Um, I, I think he responded to calls for more minorities, but I don't know if he actively sought um, the losses, as you say. It just seems like the feeders for SNL were always from, you know, Second City or um, Upright Citizens Brigade. It all came from those types of places that, you know, the, the lower economic shutter is priced out of. But the people who are funny now, they can be funny on YouTube or they can be funny on stand-up and... Uh, and get pretty good exposure, and I don't, I don't think SNL figured out how to to uh, to stock their pipeline with all these new avenues. Um, now, to, to your point, maybe Colin Jost isn't the right guy to bring them all together. I think the, either the jury's still out or the jury has spoken, and he's not the guy. But um, I think it's a harder job than than you would think. You can't look historically on how those pipelines came to fruition and apply it to today. Is what I'm saying. Sorry, are you saying the historic SNL pipelines are are washed out, or I mean, what are you what are you saying with that? I'm saying the place you places you went to get polished performers have theater degrees, and then shortly thereafter they went to L.A., Chicago, or New York to some of these comedy schools to refine their skills. But now they could just be on the stand-up circuit, or they could be a YouTube hit. I mean, that's what Beck and Colin did. They did their own, effectively, YouTube channels. Or collegehumor.com. I think that's where Bobby Moynihan did a lot of his stuff. So they're not very refined actors. In fact, a lot of them have to be taught. Look at Jay Farrell. Man, if you look at his too, he was atrocious as an actor. He was just a really good impersonator. And they had to work with him. So I, I just think that the avenues, their, their talent pipelines are more diverse. Um, and because of that, you're going to get more diversity racially um, in their in their cast. I just don't think they figured out how to how to do that yet. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You you just it seems like there's a lot of stories of black comedians who've auditioned for SNL and don't make it. Like they're just not taken. I mean, Key and Peele is a perfect example. They're at the top of their game on what they're doing with conceptual comedy and the writing and the filming of, of what they do, they were both rejected from SNL. You know, yeah, like, yeah, how, know. how do you turn down that talent? Um, and I, 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 yeah, I, I get, maybe I am more sensitive to it, but it does seem like they're making the effort to, to get more minority actors to come in, but they're, I mean, if you're going to go that direction, you should probably have someone who either can write to that or allow that voice to be heard. Um, so, I mean, the I would use yeah, the... I'll see that. I know what you're saying. Right. I mean, and, and it, does, it doesn't have to be a black head writer. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it has to be someone who's attuned to that. And I'll go to The Daily Show as a perfect example. I mean, Jon Stewart, as the head writer and, and uh, the head person of The Daily Show... I mean, he's allowed plenty of uh, black writers and comedians to come through there and flourish by being someone who allows his writers to find their voice. And he doesn't impose Jon Stewart on them. He allows them to be them. 
and he's very comfortable about, you know, he's going to be Jon Stewart when it's his turn to speak. And that's what I think is missing from SNL is, is that a strong head writer who knows when to let the reins go and then when to bring it back in. And Colin Jost is not getting that done. And I was very hard, I think two podcasts ago, where, you know, I was critical of SNL, like how hard is it when you have, you know, this level of comedians all sitting in a room to come up with something. And I, I do recognize that it's a hard job, but I'm very demanding of putting someone in that position that knows what they're, they're, they're doing. And I think it's fair to give them a year. Like, you know, Colin Joseph's had his time, um, and I think he's failed with it. And I think they should move on. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know if he's had his time, but I don't think it's been successful up until now. Um, but I, so here's my biggest, biggest jab against him. So I think he's very academic with his approach to comedy. The joke is supposed to be enough, so listen to my joke. Um, but what I think is really lacking with SNL has been there's just no energy within within the staff. What I mean by that is just somebody where as soon as they walk up on stage, you just kind of get on your toes and, and wait for it because you're so excited. You know, the Will Ferrell, like you had mentioned, the Chris Farley's just, you know, something's about to happen that you're going to laugh just because of the way they handle themselves physically or they're going to coin a new phrase or something like that. So enter Lizzie Jones. Can we talk about her now? Yeah, go ahead. I think she's that person. I mean, from the first time she came in last year on Weekend Update and did, she was a relationship expert, talked about how uh, large black women can't get dates effectively. Uh-huh. And I, don't, I haven't laughed that hard at SNL since my favorite season, which I think was 36 or 37. Whatever Will Forte's last year was, I don't like Will Forte, but apparently he, he was the glue that kept a lot of creative energy going, but I digress. Um, Leslie Jones had me rolling and then she did it again she came uh, again on Weekend Update later on that season then she did early in this season and then they had her do a bit part in that Bill Hader sketch of you know 49 cents uh, can feed someone in Africa and they all said why not more yeah finally the next the next show they added her on and last week she did another bit as a relationship extra on a Weekend Update and just to have the control physically where her, even just the way she she glances at you can be funny, um, the way she snaps at you can be funny. That just that kind of energy has been lacking with this new cast. And now that she's here, I'm so angry that she wasn't given a spot right away the first time she came on. How do you feel about Lizzie Jones? Um, so I can tell you why she wasn't given a spot is because she's probably not polished as a um, a skit actress. And that's, I know Lauren Michaels does not like any improvisation, uh, improvising, excuse me, in his skits. Like, he's fired people for not following the lines. And if you saw the Chris Rock episode where she had, I mean, it was an awful skit. It, it, it just crashed from the beginning. It was, I, th- I think it was in the 10 to 1 spot where her and Chris Rock were an old couple. Did yeah. You, did you, okay. So the premise in that, I mean, it's, it, I can see how you're sitting in a comedy room and it's pitched. And I can especially see, and this is going to be a sensitive area, maybe, um, where either she pitched it or Chris Rock pitched it to, or Jay Farrow pitched it and saying, you know, like the the elderly black couple that's together. I mean, it, and why I'm saying it's sensitive because I think it fit and why they had Chris Rock and her played off so well. Of uh, it, it, 
just racially, like everything was there, and I can see how everybody in the room would be like, yes, let's write that sketch, or, or excuse me, that sketch. And then when it was performed, it just dragged on so long. And they beat it to death, and then she froze up. I mean, she had the worst case of stage fright I think I've ever seen live on SNL. Um, so so I don't know if the sketch was like rewritten after the rehearsal at 8, or if she just truly just froze up, but when she went back into the hallway, I don't know if like you vividly like it stood out to you as it did me, but she just like froze on her lines and then like Chris Rock had to like coax her back on to the set and then finish the the skit or the skit, excuse me. And to me that showed like, oh, that's why she hasn't been more of a featured player. Is she's not ready for that part. Like she's more built to be on weekend update and come in and have like this high energy bit. Um and so that's and, and to me, that still lingers with her. Like, I haven't gotten over that hump uh, and watching yeah. her on, on that. Well, that's happened a lot. I didn't mention Jay Fair before. And Pete Davidson, he's, he's a stand-up. That's all he's done. And, and they're really having to train these guys to be good actors and actresses. So. Pete, Pete Davidson has a great, like, natural chemistry. I would love to see him and Michael Che do Weekend Update. Because I, I, Pete Davidson has that kind of like oh shucks um, demeanor, and I think he would be great at it, like very loose. And I think he would deliver because you can be a stand-up comedian and deliver the weekend update lines, I think, very successfully, um, and bring that energy to it. Which, like you said, Chris or Colin Jost is is coming from this very academic, like let the joke speak for itself instead of like let me deliver it. Which I think right. is, it's part of Weekend Update. It's always been the charm of who who's up there, um, and he either rubs you the wrong way, like the Norm McDonald years when he did it. If you don't like Norm McDonald as a stand-up comedian, you hated Weekend Update. Um, the same thing with um, what's his name, Dennis Miller was another one. I mean, and, and if you don't like the energy, you don't like Weekend Update. And Colin Jost is all about the joke. He's not bringing any any type of energy um and i think it really brings down the performer next to him um cecily strong is a phenomenal i i thought she was great i don't know why they fired her uh, or they fired i guess isn't the right word but she tried bringing that energy and i thought when colin jose came it just killed it um so again i've yet to say one positive thing about this guy and i'm sure he's working his ass off and trying so hard every week to make a good episode and here I am. I've written zero comedy sketches in my life, and I'm just publicly shitting on this poor man. I don't know. I think we need to get. I would like to see one person with energy anchor the desk. I think it was an anomaly to have two people, just because you wanted to see. I don't know when when it was Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey. That was kind of revolutionary, right? Or even I mean, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. Tina Fey, Amy Poehler is the best weekend update. To me, hands down. Chevy Chase and those two. Yeah, I haven't really thought too much about that. But, I mean, those are good. And then that's just set a precedent that I don't think is um, can support itself. Because you're really depending a lot on the right personalities to mesh, the right comedic styles to balance each other out. It's just it's too much. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, what's um, what's her first name? Uh, Bryant, the girl. Cecily. 
No, that's not Cecily Strong. The um, oh, eighty Brian. I'm sorry. Yeah, eighty, eighty Brian. I, I, she's another one. I think she, whenever she's on camera, she has that that charm and that ability to just make anything funny. And she's also, I think, underplayed, especially this year. She's great as well. I disagree. You don't like her? I don't like her. I don't think she's great. Oh, uh, okay. So here's, you're going to do the two bits that Cecily, uh, sorry, Amy Ryan, so she does. The straight man who all of a sudden goes into an exasperated voice. Or she plays a straight man who all of a sudden goes into sultry, sexy voice. That's all she does. I see, okay, I, I can see that. Now she plays a great straight man. Very you well. Need that. Yes. You need that. I mean, that was that was Jan Hook. She was a, she was the glue that often played that role, or uh, Jane Curtin. So I'm just uh, to say she's great. To say she's tough. I mean, Katie McKinnon and and Cecily Strong and Vanessa Bayer. I think I think they're an echelon above her. But I think you need an eighty, right? Yeah. Okay. Now I'll um, I'll concede that. You know who I've liked this season, who I've never liked before, is Keenan Thompson. You never liked him before? I was just never. I thought he was highly overrated, and he's been there for what is it now? Eleven years. A long time. And it's just the same thing over and over. And I don't know if it's just one of those things where, you know, like when you continue to ask a girl on a date, and finally she's just like, ah, okay, we'll do this. If he's just been on so long that finally I'm like, okay, fine, I'll accept you. Or if everyone else has struggled so much to find their voice, and he clearly had, like, what he does, he does so well. I'll give him that. And maybe it's because he's the only part of the show that he's just so confident in what he does and what his role is and why he's there. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to be, you're never going to say, oh, remember the Keenan Thompson years, to your point earlier. But I think every every generation has had a common thread of someone who's just stable. You know, I mean, you had the the Daryl Hammonds and and you had um who was the David Spades. I mean he he was never a guy you really were excited about, but he played a good role and I mean you don't have Chris Father without David Spades. So I just it's nice to have a guy there who can hold his own. No, he's not gonna make a bunch of movies afterward. Ironically he made all his movies before. Right. You know? Right. But um he's serviceable. I wouldn't say I hate him, but he's not a superstar anymore. Okay. Anything else to add about SNL? Um, no, nah, I guess we're at a good point. I, I just, I, I don't dislike season four as much as you do. I, I see growing pains. I think you see effectively a, a finished product that isn't good enough. Is that fair to say? That's fair. And I also think because 40 is like a milestone that I, I'm judging it more too. Yeah. But it's not the same as you know, it's not like The Simpsons turning our role The Simpsons is now 25 where it's the same people doing the same thing right. it's a constantly evolving cast and I don't know it's, and it's like we, we pointed out that it's an evolving um, inflow of talent now uh-huh. in terms of how it's how the talent's being infused it's not the same methods anymore and also just what's funny now it's changed a little bit, so there's a lot of there's a lot of variables at play, and I, I don't think it's played out completely yet. Okay, 
I'll concede that. That makes sense. Um, alrighty. So, let's see. I think we probably should start wrapping this up. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, if anyone... two people on on weekend update um maybe the next time you do this you should just cut it down to one or two topics that you know will go deep maybe maybe that's that's i'm i'm so used to you know writing the rundown for just myself um but yeah you're right uh, that would definitely work so i guess i'll hold off on talking about the concert for valor for another time uh And I guess I I feel like if we start politics, we'll be here for like another thirty minutes. Yeah, I have a question. Yeah, um, we'll do like maybe when the new Congress is sworn in, I'll give you a little call. We'll do we'll do some politics. Sorry, I'll ask one question on politics. Okay, okay, go ahead. I know that you're you see regression in in, in what has been voted in last week, two weeks ago, or whatever it was. Uh huh. Name one thing that they've accomplished in the last two years. Uh, is this a trick question? Exactly. I don't think that these midterm elections mean anything. Because I think the next two years are going to be a lot like the first two years. Of Obama's second term, that is. As in, like, nothing gets done? Right. Right, but isn't that the problem? I mean, that's what I think needs to stop, I, you know things need to get done. I mean, we can't continue to have a Congress that doesn't do anything. Why does it bother me? Um, I think what bothered me in the election wasn't that it was a, a red sweep. It was just the, uh, how do I put this? It was a sweep for no reason. Because I agree with you that nothing's going to happen. So essentially everyone voted against the idea of Barack Obama. And that makes me uncomfortable because to me Barack Obama is nothing more than... George W. Bush light. So to vote against Barack Obama means you're voting against a black man. And that just doesn't sit well with me. To then vote in a group of people who are literally going to do nothing for you. And when you poll Americans and they're talking about the disparity of wealth and the burden of taxes and the inability to pay college loans and all of these issues that are hurting the average American and then you look at who they voted in there's a disparity between what your needs are as a constituent and who was just sent to Washington D.C. and I would be okay with it if the Republicans were actually going to govern and I hope they do I really hope that in the next two years we get to see what the Republican Party is Um, because if there was ever a chance for the Republican Party to control government for 15 years it would be now if they could figure out how to govern in these two years 
that would help them with 2016 and then they would just continue marching on. But the problem is they don't have a platform. They don't have a mandate. Um, when their mandate is waste two years, I mean, how is that helpful for our country? And that's what bothered me. It's not who we've, it's not the party. To me, I'm at a place, I think, in my life where both parties are just nonsense. You know, it's a, it's a, somebody with a dunce cap in one corner, and in the other corner, it's a person pointing at the dunce cap and saying, I don't want to be that. That doesn't help. That's not an adult conversation to say, you suck, and that's my platform. You know, like, you should have your own ideas. And to me, the Democrats have no ideas, and the Republicans' platform is, we don't want to be Democrats. Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about that tonight. <laughs> hey, Kansas City is up by three with two minutes to play. It's, uh, they're, they're trying to come back here. It's, uh, they're turning into a good game. When they come back, they're winning. Um... Yeah, yeah, I said that wrong. You know what I meant, though. That's what matters. All right, you want to bring this uh, into the home stretch? I don't know what that means. How do you do that? Uh, I mean, we just, like, wrap it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so an hour ago, everyone, everyone who's still listening. Like, yeah, the two people who are still... You never know. Like, this, once I figure out how to get this on iTunes, for all we know, this may be the thing that people want to hear, like... You know, you're sitting at your work desk and you just get to hear two people talk about nonsense that have no real right to be talking about what they're talking about. But, you know, it, it gets you through two hours of your work day and boom, we just helped out with that. Um, I think I'm pretty certain that's not the case. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> well, I love you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for talking to me. Yep, yep. Um, so... This, this is the point of the podcast where I shamelessly tell everyone that Zach Boychek followed me on Twitter, followed, you know, the Lion Eyes podcast Twitter handle, which, again, I don't know how it happened, and I'm not complaining, and I'm shamelessly trying to get free tickets when the Carolina Hurricanes come up to D.C. to play the Washington Capitals. Again, that game is on March 31st, and as I said last week, if... For some reason, we can connect out to Zach Boychek and we get tickets to this game. That's going to be the first giveaway of the podcast. So we'll have a contest. We'll give those tickets away. And, um, you know, hopefully that happens. Since I had you on, and this might add another five minutes, what's your opinion of Washington, D.C. as a sports town since that's your backyard? Uh, We've talked about this and Really, we need to bring in a third person. You know who that person is to effectively address this. But uh-huh. um, when you look at particularly um, the three non-football sports in D.C., no one's going to show up unless there's a superstar on that team or if they're in first place. Although I will say with Washington, the Capitals, they're starting to shed that a little bit. They're still selling out games, aren't they? Yep. When they're in the middle of the pack. Yep. So they're kind of hanging on. You could argue that they're hanging on because Ovechkin's still a superstar, and so they fit the criteria. First place or superstar, people are going to show up. But, um, nah, people, it's like people show up in D.C. sports games because they're there to be seen, not because there's a sport going on. Is that fair to say? Right, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and the atmosphere at D.C. sports games are just weird. They're, yeah, uh, people are taking selfies. Right, right. Posting pictures of the things they're looking at. Very much so. Um, 
which I will say just across the state, I think Baltimore sporting events are completely different. Um, I thoroughly enjoy going to Orioles games. I think, you know, especially now that they're playing a little better, um, it's just a, it's a fun baseball atmosphere of people who actually care about how the Orioles are doing. Yeah. I think it doesn't matter either that D.C. is a, a pretty transient area. People come in and out all the time. It's not uncommon for, you know, the average resident to only live here for, you know, three or four years before they move out somewhere else. So, yeah. It's sort of an authentic, bottoms-up fan base that way. Okay. So, what's your opinion if, if, the podcast gets some tickets, and we are a guest of Zach Boychek. Do it, it, would it be correct to wear a Carolina paraphernalia since we're guest of a Carolina player, or blend in with DC, or just the third option is other? What do you vote there? Well, if Carolina come to town, I'm going to find a Hartford Whalers jersey and sport that. Thing. I think that's the winning answer right there. That's that's some deep trivia. Right there, Joe. Very good. Um, so I'm going to go to Nationals game and look for an expert hat. I think that's fair. I, I, I think that's very And then uh, artists to watch very quickly. Uh, a band called The Walking Sticks. They're on iTunes right now. They just released their new EP, Pop Dreams, uh, because I've actually seen them play. And I actually know the band. They're a small-time band, for all I know. Uh, good music, and uh, right now I just wanted to talk about what what is LP stands for. I do not the the other album format. I mean, is it vinyl? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it, the term comes from vinyl. That's it, a track, but I don't know anything beyond that. Okay, so an EP or extended play, and it's uh, usually like a single plus one or two song from back in the day. And then an LP is the full album, which stands for long play, and that's 33 and a third um, RPMs there for the album. So that's our album. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I will share at this point, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I talked about this last week, some albums from Heather, who passed along a sl- our dear treasures. Her mother gave me one of my top albums that I possess, the... The Beatles White Album I'll tell the story real quick To share this other story Um, I went to visit them in Florida Years ago for Christmas And we're at her mother's house And we're just like talking about the Beatles And I'm talking about you know like How I'm trying to collect all the Beatles albums And that the White Album When it it came out in the first run With the uh, gray title And the number stamped on It's like so hard to find It's like this gem and she just takes me out to a garage, opens up this box of albums, flips through, and like pulls out a first-run white album in like really great condition. And I'm just like going bananas at this point, like all the posters are in it, and she just gives it to me. She's like, I'm I'm not gonna play this, and obviously it means a lot to you. And I just thought that was awesome. Um, and it spoke a lot about who uh, Karen was as a person, and it's still like I get emotional every time I talk about it. Um, but she recently passed, and Heather was sweet enough to bring back her mom's album collection and pretty much was like, pick out what you want. And I have now Billy Joel albums, and I've never had any Billy Joel CDs, any of his albums. I've just heard them on the radio, and boy, 
am I playing the bejesus out of Billy Joel's The Stranger? I don't know if you're familiar with this album, but if you're not, Joe, go check it out. It, it might as well be Billy Joel's greatest hits. I don't know how I've never heard or owned The Stranger. It is, if you don't like Billy Joel, I'm sorry. But if you do, go get this album right now, or at least look into it. It is phenomenal. Well, first time I came around, it was all his greatest hits. So what was on the album? What were some of the tracks? Uh, let me pull this up real quick. I mean, the, the Stranger might as well be a greatest hits for Billy Joel. Let me Give me a second here. Uh... Let's see. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. So the tracks on Billy Joel's "The Stranger." Uh, why is this? Okay. Side one is "Moving Out," then "The Stranger," then "Just the Way You Are," and then "Scenes from an Italian Restaurant." All four of those songs are signals or singles. They're hit singles. So that side one has four hit singles. Start there's one through four, then you flip it over and side two, track one, Vienna, only the good die young. She's always a woman, get it right the first time, and everybody has a dream. So, three of those are hit singles, so that's seven hit singles out of nine tracks in one album. Yeah, I mean, it's strong, it's on the slow stuff, too. Yeah, that's uh. He brought his A game for that album. It is such a treat, such a treat. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my shameless plug about albums. People should listen to albums more. It's I think the best form of music to this day. Um, yeah, you're, you're gonna have to teach that to your kids too. I mean, I find myself not listening to albums very easily anymore. Yeah, it's definitely. I yeah, it's a lost art. It definitely is. Um, so, yeah, um, the only thing we have left are our shameless plugs. Follow us on Twitter at Lion Eyes Podcast or email us, lioneyespodcast at gmail.com. And we are inching ever so closely to building the website, which will be www.lioneyespodcast.com. And, and at the website, you'll be able to sign up for all the Twitter, um, emails, all that nonsense. And, um, yeah, that's uh, that's it. Thank you very much for our guest Joe for coming on and chatting here for the last two hours and not quitting on this. So uh, thank you, Joe. Any last words? Oakland's going to go ahead touchdown. Minute left, they're up by four. There it is. Those are good last words, Joe. Especially since anyone listening to this will know the score of it by the time they hear it. Yep, but it, it just put into context, you know where we are on this Thursday evening. So uh, there we go. Remember, boys and girls, pillows are good people too. Thank you for listening. Until tomorrow, good night.